This past week I had an opportunity to be with um, several people on different occasions that, quite frankly, by the time that we were done, I felt like killing myself. Have you ever been around people like that? It's like, man, nothing goes right in their life. Have you been around it? Let me ask you a question. Do you know someone who, I mean, or maybe a group of people, you don't know someone independent, but if you know someone, that every time you're around them, it's like, oh, gee, you know, does anything good, do you see anything good in life at all? Just a, it's just a glimmer, just a little bit of, of anything good. Man, I'll tell you what, I, by the time you're done spending time with people like that, it's like, oh, that's so depressing. I, I, was, I was at Rams uh, camp on Monday, and... Um, it can, well, it can get real depressing this time of year because, you know, there, there's 80 guys there and uh, 45 of them are going to have a job by the end of the next three weeks. And so the, the other, uh, what was that, 45 and 35, the other, the other, um, the other 35, uh, you know, know that they're not, but they don't know if they're one of those 35. And, uh, man, it's like by the time you get done talking to a few guys and they're draining one guy's knee and they're taking 45 cc's of fluid out of his leg so he can keep wrapping it to keep playing and on and on and on it goes. And, and it's like, man, you know, you can have a tendency to get down. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't have people like that in your life. But I heard a great story. If you've, well, of course this was an intro to a story that I, you know, <laughs> hey, you've been here long enough. You know that. And you even sit in the front row. You even see it coming quicker than they do in the back because it's kind of a ripple effect. The laughter usually starts here, so don't forget that today, and it'll all carry out through the back of the room. But if you're, ever, if you're around people that are pessimistic and down all the time, I heard a story about uh, a couple of farmers. One, one farmer, this guy never got down. He was always up. He was optimistic. Everything in life, he saw something good that came about. And his neighbor was exactly the opposite. Life stinks. Everything was terrible. So I'd get up one day, and the optimistic farmer got up one day, and the sun was shining, and it was bright, and we're going to have to stretch ourselves to remember what that used to be like. But um, the, the sun was shining, it was a bright day, and he just said, as he was sitting on his tractor, and he yelled over to his neighbor, sure is a beautiful day today, isn't it? The sun's out, and boy, it's just life's worth living. And the negative farmer looked over at him and said, yeah, well, if it stays hot like this any longer, it's probably going to scorch our crops. And he goes, oh, and he drives away. You know? few weeks later they got some much needed rain and the skies just opened up and the rain was coming down and the optimistic farmer stood out there in the middle of the rain and just let it fall on him and his neighbor was looking out the window and he yelled over to him and said God sure is good isn't he he's finally fed our crops and this is wonderful they're getting the rain that they need and the, and the negative guy looked out the window and said yeah huh it keeps raining like this next thing you know all our crops are going to just wash away this guy was just fed up with all this. So he finally went, I said, I've got to find some way to show this guy there's something positive in life. So he went out and he bought what he thought was the most expensive, smartest hunting dog that he'd ever found. He trained this dog to go hunting with him. So he invited his neighbor at the right time. He invited his negative farmer neighbor and said, look, let's go duck hunting this Saturday. I said, fine. So they went duck hunting. They're sitting in the duck blind. The ducks come in. They both shoot a couple of shots off. Some ducks fall in the water. He looks over at this dog he's been training for a couple of months, and he paid big bucks for it. He said, boy, go get him. The dog jumps out of the boat, walks across the water, <laughs> walks across the water, picks up the ducks, takes the ducks back one at a time, drops them right in the boat, standing in the water next to the boat with a big smile on his face. The optimistic farmer looked and said, what do you think of that? The negative guy looked back and said, can't swim, can he? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. 
that, hey, there are people like that out there. I run into them all the time, and you probably do too. And the reason that I want to use that kind of as an introduction is because if you lean toward the pessimistic side of life, if you're a little bit pessimistic, you don't really see too many positive things in life, then what we're going to talk about in this section of 1 John applies really to you, but also to all of us, but particularly to those who are pessimistic because what John wants to get across in this section is how we can know without any question in our mind that we really are Christians. And as you'll be able to tell as you go through this, if you're pessimistic about most things in life, then I'll bet you, without really getting to know you, that you're also probably a little bit pessimistic about your relationship with God. And so in 1 John chapter 3, if you've got it, uh, your Bible, turn to it, and let's pick it up at verse 19, and we'll carry through the end of the chapter. John wants us to be assured of our relationship with God. He wants every person that's listening to this and every person that ever studies this passage to understand beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not you have a right relationship with God according to what the Bible says, the biblical text. And, and, and this will become the litmus uh, test of wh- whether or not you really do. And so he goes through and he starts in verse 19 and he's going to carry a thought on that we, that we talked about last week, but he picks it up at verse 19. And he says this, We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before God in whatever our heart condemns us For God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. One of the things, if you, if you can recall, uh, when we first started this series, one of the purposes of this letter was to assure us that we could know without a shadow of a doubt that we have a right relationship with God. You know, and for those who don't and those who would be, that you might come in contact with in life, you know, there's a very threatening thing to the world in which we live when we can have an assurance or confidence. I remember the first time that I ever heard somebody tell me in confronting me in a conversation and said, Chuck, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? And to be able to come up with all kind of answers, but in reality, know in my heart that I didn't have a clue whether I would or not. I was hopeful. You know, I hoped that was the case. But to have somebody repeat to me and say, look, you know what? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if I die today, I'm going to heaven. Would you like to have that same confidence? That's a very arrogant statement. And it's very, it's very dis, dis, disconcerting to those who don't have a clue whether or not they're going to heaven. When you're confronted by that face-to-face with no one else around, you've got some tough decisions to make. And so for somebody to tell me, I know that I'm going to heaven, it lends to, boy, you know what? I at least want to know why this guy thinks he knows he's going to heaven. Now, whether or not I'm going to believe him or whether or not I'm going to listen to what he says, that's a whole other issue, but he sure piqued my curiosity. And so as we go through this, what John wants to do all through this letter is to guarantee us, based on what 
the Bible says is objective evidence that we can know. He says, you can know. All throughout this letter, we see the phrases like, by this we know, we know, we have known, that you may know. You know, you have known. So the issue is, how do you really know if you're a Christian? How do you know that Christ literally lives within you? Are you sure? Are you absolutely positive? Do you have confidence that if you died today, or if you died at this very moment, that you're going to heaven? I had one friend that I talked to one time that was great. He played for the Dodgers. And he said that, and he played a, a while ago when Sandy Koufax was, uh, was playing with the Dodgers, and he was on that particular team. And he said it used to be great. They used to be on airplane flights, and he used to want to sit near Sandy Koufax. And he said the reason he wanted to sit near Sandy Koufax was because he knew God would never kill Sandy Koufax in an airplane crash. <laughs> he was convinced of that. I mean, so he wanted to hang around. So, and, 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 and what it brought to mind was that, you know, many of us are like that. Well, I'm going to hang around people that are sure that they're going to heaven because at least if I hang around them, you know, you're known by your acquaintances, right? So if I'm hanging around what I consider the people that are pleasing to God, then I must somehow or another be close to being pleasing to God because at least I know who to pick as friends. And if I go to the right church and hang around the right people and sit in the right row and turn when they say turn and read when they say read and uh, listen when they say listen... Instead of, well, not, not some of you, I know you don't really take notes. You're like making a list of things to do for the rest of the week. I used to do that all the time. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God, God's going to get you. He got me. He'll get you. So don't, don't, don't worry about it. you got other stuff to do. That's fine. But, um, but just don't disturb the people around you. Anyway, so as you go through this, he wants you to know, right? And so as, as we're going down through this, let, let me give you kind of an outline. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is, and really the, the issue is this, by the time you leave, you can know whether you have a right relationship with God or know that you don't. And that could be worked out too before you're done. So anyway, um, let's look at, um, the first thing is in verses 19 through 22. He says that you can know you're a Christian by the assurance that you have in your own heart. So the one thing I didn't have that this guy had was he had an assurance in his heart that he was right before God. I knew I did not. He could tell me that I did. He can tell me I was fine. But you know what? No amount of convincing or coaxing on his part was going to let me believe that if I really died that I was going to heaven because I knew that I doubted that was true. So there is an assurance that takes place in our own heart. It's a personal thing. In your own heart, with nobody else around, not worrying about what crowd you're in, in the silence of the evening when God speaks to us the best, when no one else is around and you're laying in your room and you're thinking and everyone else is sleeping, am I really right with God? There is an assurance or confidence that comes with those who really are. So that's verses 19 through 22. Then it goes on in verse 23 and it says, By our acceptance... By our acceptance of Jesus Christ, we believe in the name of Jesus and love one another as he commanded. So, uh, by the acceptance of Jesus Christ and his commandments, we can know that we're a child of God. And then the last thing is verse 24, and it's by the activity of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. We can know that. We can have confidence And it's not man-made. It's nothing that you can psych yourself up for. And I deal with guys all the time who, you know, are being told all the time, you've got to psych yourself up. You've got to get yourself pumped up. You've got to get fired up. 
to get ready to do what you got to do. And they go and they try to believe that. And they can believe that until they realize that they have limitations to some degree. You can't get anybody psyched up enough who's five foot nine and 150 pounds to take on a six foot eight, 290 pound wild man. I don't care. You may believe it, but the first time he jams you with a forearm and you're down and you're counting stars, that psyching job stops real quick. <laughs> and so that's the way it is in the rest of life. And so as we go through this, the first thing that we'll take a look at is that we can have an assurance in our own hearts. And this is what he outlines for us in verses 19 through 22. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. Again, we can have a knowledge by experience and a knowledge also by the facts. And that's where we need to kind of identify the two. We can know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. We can know that. We can have peace in our hearts before God. We can have confidence before God. For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything that we ask because we obey His commandments and we do what pleases Him. You and I can have an assurance that we have a right relationship before God. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of us think that we do for various reasons. In this conversation I had with this gentleman, he said, uh, well, you know, how, how do you know this? And I said, well, I know, I know I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? And that's the subject that we're talking about. How do you really know you're a Christian? So, well, because I, I grew up and I, I, I went to church. I was baptized, you know, when I was a baby. I went to church, you know, and I even went to, you know, a private school. You know? And I still go to church every now and then if there's not a good game on, you know. So, I'm, you know, you know I'm, I'm, the percentages were right. And, uh, and, and those were my answers. And the, and the one answer that I think that most of you remember I shared, he shared with me was, oh, you're a Christian because you go to church. And I said, that's right. And he said, when you grew up in Pennsylvania, did you ever sleep outside? And I said, yes, I did. We used to go camping and hiking, and we used to sleep outside all the time. He goes, great. Well, does that make you a reindeer? And, um, <laughs> you know, and right there, he had an excellent point, and I didn't have a good answer for it, you know. Uh, you, you know and so going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping outside makes you a reindeer. And uh, it was like, mm, ba-boom. You know, I was waiting for the drum. You know, and, and there wasn't, but he got me, and uh, so I started to listen. So if we go back through this, I don't know what you think makes you a Christian, but John wants to make sure that you understand what God says makes you a Christian, all right? So let's go through it, and we'll take the first one. And uh, he does this in this particular passage in three ways. And uh, as you go down through it, the first thing that he says that we need to kind of jump back to what we talked about last week is that there's a demonstration of God's love toward others. If you are a Christian, according to biblical definition, there will be a demonstration of God's love toward others. Verses 17 and 18, he says this. In verse 19, you go back. You got your Bibles? Look at it. Look, look down here. That's where it is. Because the 17 18 aren't up there, and you're going to have a hard time following this. He says, we shall know this. We shall know by this. Well, we shall know by what? That we are of the truth. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So he goes back to the previous verses, and we saw in 17 and 18, whoever has the world's good beholds his brother need and closes his heart against him. Well, how does the love of God abide in him? So the point that he's making is, little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. What he's saying is you can know by this. You can know by your love of others... And the way that you meet their needs when a need is presented to you, you can have confidence before God that you are one of God's kids because that's what God would do as he lives and works through you. 
Jesus, as he was confronted with the needs of the people, always responded and was actively involved in their lives. He was moved with compassion toward action as he saw needs. You and I cannot see a need, ignore that need, and say that, guess what, I'm a Christian. And walk away from the needs of others as God brings them into your life. And that word beholds means by those who God continually brings in before your life, do you, do you recognize the need that they have and are you willing to get actively involved to meet that need? He said, and if you don't, well then how, and the point is, how can the love of God abide in you? How can you really be a Christian according to the biblical definition if when needs are presented to you, you ignore those needs and you turn your heart or slam the door shut on people who have needs? You have to get involved in the lives of others. And it's just not psyching yourself up because, see, here's the problem. There are many people in the world who are actively involved in meeting the needs of other people, but they're doing it for a variety of reasons, whether it's for recognition, whether it's because they think they're going to get brownie points with God, and and if they do enough good things, they're going to get into heaven. There's all kinds of reasons that people get involved in the lives of others. But for Christians, the reality of it is that you get involved simply because there's a need. You can't help and not get involved. You'll find yourself involved before you even know what you got yourself into. And then you begin to say, oh my, what do we get ourselves into? Look at this is costing us in time and money and all this kind of stuff. But, but that comes afterwards. It's almost like you can't help. There's a need you do it. Why are you doing it? I don't know. I didn't even stop and think about it. Why? Because God doesn't hesitate to, to work through our lives to meet the needs of other people. Compassion is always in action. You know, and, and the world that we live in says this. Hey, man. I get enough problems of my own. Don't bother me with your problems. And and, and they even do, let me top your problem with my problems. You ever been there? It's like visiting someone in the hospital. Boy, you want to depress somebody real quick. Tell them about the time you went through the same thing. You had the same kind of operation. And yours was even worse than them. And they're sitting there with tubes sticking out of them all over the place. And you're going, oh, man, this is nothing, man. You're going to be out here in a few days. I was in one time for three months. You should have seen what I went through then. Thanks. I feel so much better now. God, why did you let him live? <laughs> Man. You know, and so what the Bible is saying is that, you know what, you have to. You can't help but to love other people. And not only will you love people who have a need, but as we saw last time, you'll love people that you used to despise. Well, my stepfather moved in with us for eight months about five years ago. I used to lay in bed at night thinking, you know what, God, this is a real funny joke that you're playing here. Because all of my life, I grew up determined that I would hate this man until I died and that one day, if I ever had a chance, I'd kill him. And he came to our house and he lived with us for eight months. I used to lay in bed at night and just know, hey, I am confident in my relationship with God. I know that God's changed my life. I know that I'm assured that I'm a Christian. There's no question about it. Why did I know it? Because here was a guy that I hated down in our kitchen at 2 o'clock in the morning making something to eat and at 2.30 taking a shower and I'd be laying in bed thinking, this should be bothering me a lot more than it is. <laughs> and everybody else was sound asleep. Linda's racked out there. She, she didn't know what's going on. I'm sitting there talking to God. God, you did some mighty fine work in my life. I know you're not done, but boy, you sure are proving yourself so far. And I was like, and what he taught me was, you know what? When, when Christ comes into someone's life, he radically changes it. And you begin to have love for people you despise, and you begin to have a desire to help people that before all you lived for was yourself. I got my own needs, man. Oh, not anymore. You're meeting needs before you know it. 
And so as you go through it, the point is very simple. If the Holy Spirit of God lives in your life, He cannot help but to love people through you. Now, you may be resistant and you may be reluctant, but the whole time He's convicting you of what you need to do. He wants to love people through you. And so we can have an assurance that we're a Christian by demonstrating God's love through us toward the others. The second thing that he talks about is that there's also, we can have an assurance by a dependence upon God himself. And this is important because this isn't a matter of a psych job. This isn't a matter of saying, boy, you know what, I really, and and maybe what we need to understand on this particular issue is that you can be assured of your relationship with God. You have a right relationship because of God. That's what he says. He says, in in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart. What he's saying is that if in whatever, if it's the case, and your heart starts to tell you, hey, you're not really a Christian, and our heart starts to condemn us or, or give us a guilt trip about whether we are or whether we're not, he's saying that God is greater than our hearts. Now, let me explain this to you for a second, because a lot of us are very feeling oriented, very emotional, all right? We wear our emotions on our sleeve, and if somebody says something, you, you ever been around someone, somebody makes a step, statement, and, they, and it's like, most of the time it's a spouse, okay? Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. It's kind of the way that's fallen into place. But you make a statement, and then they try to guess 50 things that you meant by what you said. You ever play that game? Huh? Oh, sure, we all played that game. Yeah, I mean, it may, okay, it's not a spouse. We're feeling a little uncomfortable about that. Let's just say it's a friend. They make a statement, and you try to guess what they really meant. What did they mean by what they just said? The sky is blue. What did they mean by what they just said? They mean sometimes the sky is not blue? They mean, like, is it my fault that it's blue? Is it my fault that it's not blue? I don't know really what they meant. If you're like that, you'll go crazy when it comes to your relationship with God. If you are emotional-oriented and feeling-oriented, here's the way it works. I deal with people, and, and, and in my observation, this is what I found. People that are feeling-oriented, their relationship with God is a wicked roller coaster ride. Because what happens is this. They're reading their Bible, they're going to church, things are going good. i got a relationship with God, I know I'm a Christian. I feel good. Great. Oh, quote, now things go bad, whatever they consider bad. And bad may be anything. Bad may be the sun hasn't shined for three days. Bad may be whatever bad is to them. And then they go, oh, oh, things are bad. God's deserted me. I wonder if I'm really a Christian. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. Oh, no, I can't believe I just did that. And then the devil says, you can't be a Christian. You just said that. You just did that. And so all of a sudden you're going, yeah, you know what? I really can't be a Christian. Oh, I don't really know. And it's like, oh, things are good. I'm on top of the world. God and I are walking hand in hand. Here we go. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, things are bad. Things stink. Oh, no, I'm going to hell. That's the way it works. Now, you know, we giggle about that, but there's nothing more tragic to be a person who has a relationship with God that's like that. That is a a tragedy that God wants to prevent. He wants you to know that you have a right relationship with him. Let me just read you a a story. This is a true story, an encounter that took place. Chuck Colson was in Colorado, and he was going out for a walk one evening, and he was trying to get away from people because if you're around people all the time, people tend to get on your nerves. And um, I don't know that from firsthand experience. I'm saying that's what he said. This was kind of what led into the story. Anyway... He, he was going out for a walk, and he, and he ran, runs into this girl who had been standing outside in the snow waiting for a chance to speak to him. And this is what happened. 
He said, hello, and she said, uh, oh, my name? My name is Karen Higgins. Oh, I mean Karen Wheeler. I've been married only a few months. She spied her dropping her brown eyes shyly and shifting one foot from one to the other. And it says, thank you for such a warm greeting. This is my wife, Patty. We're about to take a walk. And she said, oh, it's a great day for a walk, isn't it? But would you mind if I asked you just one question? And he said, of course not. What is it? I was just wondering, I mean, how is a person sure about being a Christian? said, I read your book, and you don't sound like you have any doubts, but how do you know for sure? I mean, how do you really know that? And her eyes started to mist up, and tears welled in as she began to ask the question. He says, I looked at Patty, who nodded. Karen needed help. We could forget about walking into town. Patty invited Karen inside. As she took our ski parka off, I noted she was trembling, probably half frozen from waiting outside her house. I thought, or else she was deeply disturbed young girl. When she took her cap off, her brown hair flowed over her shoulders and halfway down her back. She began to pour out her life story as we sat around the fire. A Christian since she was 12, raised in a devoutly, quote, religious home, educated in good schools, married to a childhood sweetheart when she was 20. So far, she fitted the typical upper-middle-class pattern. But then came the shocker. Her older brother, employed in a Christian organization, had always been her hero. But six months before, and without warning, he committed suicide. There was, a no, there was no obvious explanation, and the tragedy shattered Karen's world. She says, He was such a perfectionist that he couldn't take it when he couldn't do everything he was supposed to do. He tried too hard at everything, she explained, tears filling her eyes. Karen kept trying to smile even as tears rolled down her face. She wiped the tears as if angry at the display of emotion. I tried to relax her, explaining that tears were normal, good for her, in fact, but her struggle continued. I'm afraid the same thing is going to happen to me. I've even thought of, well, I don't know why I'm telling you this, I've even thought of suicide myself. Why in the world, Karen, would you say that? You have everything to live for, a husband you said you love, friends, Christ in your life, a good home, a whole lifetime ahead of you. I don't understand what you're struggling with. She pondered the question, brushed her hair back away from her eyes, and she spoke very deliberately. And she said this, because, well, because I don't really think I'm a Christian. Some days I'm so depressed, I don't feel the joy I'm supposed to. I can't even smile. Colson said, neither can I a lot of days, especially when I'm in prisons. She said, you? I said, you? But I could tell from your book that you've really got it. That's what I thought you could help me. I thought you could help me get that too. And he went on and said, Karen, are there, there are days when I'm absolutely rotten, days when I doubt my own faith, days when I stand, stand, can't stand people, days when I'm depressed and angry. Those things are normal, but Christ is always present. He is real. He's unchanging. He pulls me out of it. She said, but all my life I've been told Christians are happy and joyous. You mean I can be a Christian even when I can't smile and feel happy? And I say, I sure hope so, because we're all in trouble in this room. <laughs> but uh, he said, you, I just threw that in there because a little touching here. Huh? Said, uh, he said, you sure can. If you have truly asked Christ into your life, you are also still human. And it's not easy to live the Christian life, which is what you're discovering. So don't believe anyone who tells you that it is. In fact, you have my permission to throw your hymn book at the next person who gives you that simple syrupy goop. Said within minutes, Karen seemed at peace with herself, altern, altern, alternately sniffing, laughing, and then realizing how foolish she'd been. She, she would self-consciously stare at the floor. Patty brewed a pot of tea for the next hour. We talked about the reality of the Christian life, and it was amazing to watch the transformation as Karen rapidly regained her self-assurance. 
See, the, the, really, the story illustrates something that's very real. And that is that it, it, it incorporates everything that we're struggling with here. It incorporates the element of doubt when we doubt whether we really are Christians because our performance isn't what we think it should be or our performance doesn't measure up to what others think our performance should be. And it also has to do with assurance. The answer is there as well. And so what John is saying is that we need to depend upon God himself and not on our feelings. Whether I feel like I'm a Christian, and I used to, oh, I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like I'm okay. I feel like I'm a good guy. I feel like I'm better than a lot of people that I know, and therefore I must be a Christian. My feelings have nothing to do with reality. Some of us, I mean, you know, you got to keep a wall chart on their wall, and, and, you know, and kiddingly so, about people who go through their cyclical mood swings as far as what you can expect from them on these, this particular week or this particular day. If you know anybody that struggles with PMS or whatever, I mean, you got to keep track of this stuff because you know what's coming. And, and, and I don't say that in, in, a, in a, you know... Just a, a weak manner of, gee, you know what, isn't that funny? Because it's really not. The point that I'm making is that feelings are so misleading you cannot trust them. The heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. You can't trust your heart. And so what God is saying is that I know your heart. Jeremiah, as he posed the question, said, who can understand it? And he immediately answers, but God can God knows your heart. God knows whether you're a Christian. And here's the reality of this, folks. I don't know, people around you don't really know whether you have an assurance in your heart of a right relationship with God. But God does. You can smoke screen the whole world. You can go to church all your life and never have a right relationship with God. But God knows your heart. You're not faking Him out. You can fake all the rest of us out. But guess what? It doesn't matter because we're not the one who judges you anyway. So you better get it right before God because that's the only person that's going to matter for all of eternity. And so as he goes through it, he says, don't let deceive you or condemn you into one believing that you're not a Christian because you're retaining water and you're in a crummy mood. <laughs> All right? Hey. What? I retain water. I mean, what's the deal there? What's all the... I do, man. I t- in fact, we had a basketball game yesterday, right? I took a shower afterwards. I couldn't get my wedding ring on. I was like all puffed up, man. I looked the Stay Puff Marshmallow King. I was just kind of walking around going... And I was asking, when, why can't I get my ring on? She said, because you're fatter than you used to be. I said, okay. No, she didn't say that. But, uh, you know. but I felt good like later, about 2 o'clock, it slipped right back on there again. But then I thought, you know what? Feelings are so deceptive. You eat something funny, you're in a funny mood, it puts you in a crummy mood, whatever. Or you're having, you know, it's just the sun doesn't come out for three months straight and you're in the air conditioning business at 75 degrees. Everybody says how wonderful it is. They open their window, they've got a nice, cool ocean breeze. <laughs> Who needs an ocean breeze? I don't need an ocean breeze. I need it hot and smoggy. That's what I need. And so, you know, you get in these moods, right? And it's like, man, if that was all based on whether I was a Christian or not, I'd be one depressed kind of a guy. But the good news is, is that my relationship with God's not based on whether I feel like I'm a Christian or not. You understand what I'm saying? Think about this for a moment. If God encourages husband and wives to live with one another in an understanding way, to be committed to one another, to take a vow to one another, and to have a relationship that's based on commitment and not based on the feelings of love, would not God also apply that same principle to his relationship with his people? It's not based on emotions. It's based on a commitment. 
It's based on the promises of God. It's based on the word of God. It's based on what he says and not whether I feel like God loves me anymore or he doesn't. And I say that because I'm so tired of hearing of people in our culture who have become Christian psychologists, and not that that's bad, please listen to me because I know I immediately put up defense mechanisms and some of you turn me off. But don't do that. Listen to me, at least follow it all the way through, and then you can be mad at me later. But, but what I'm trying to get across is that we are so much trying to get people together and say, well, how do you feel about your parents? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your job? How do you feel about your life? How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel about your relationship with God? And this is the way we do it. Is He close to you or is He distant? Is He on the throne or are you on the throne? How do you feel about all this? Now listen to me. That may be great to know how you feel. But if you don't, as a person who is counseling somebody, if if you don't lean people back to the Word of God and get them away from their feelings then you are promoting what I believe to be the worst heresy that you can find in Scripture that says that our relationship with Christ is somehow based on whether we feel like He's close to us or not. The point of it all is very simple. If you don't feel like you're close to God, then let me just ask you some stupid questions. Why don't you feel that way? Is it because you're sinning and violating the standards of God? Then you're going to miss the fellowship of a close relationship. It's no different than if you feel like you're not close to your spouse because you just had a fight and you're doing some things that upset one another and you don't feel that love anymore where you're not going to. You need to make it right. If you feel like you're distanced from God, you need to ask some tough questions. Am I violating God's standards somehow in His Word? I need to repent from that and he'll, he'll restore to me the joy of my salvation is what David said. Bring it back, God. I don't feel like I'm close to you. But He never said, I'm not still your child. He never said, give me my salvation back or give me my relationship back. He said, give me the joy of that relationship back. I know I'm distanced from you. I want to be close to you again. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of us are just pessimistic and negative about everything. You know what? And you're going to be negative about your relationship with God. That's just life for you in the pessimistic fast lane. And what you need to do is understand what the Bible teaches as well. Some of us don't have a good understanding of Scripture. That's why we feel like God is distant. God's not distant. I mean, if you want to, if you want to have fun sometime, just go through the Scripture and see what the Bible says and the promises that God makes. I don't need some counselor to tell me how I should feel about these things. I just read them and I go crazy. Who am I? I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I'm a child of God. I'm part of the true vine. I'm Christ's friend. I'm chosen, appointed to bear His fruit. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of God. I'm a son of God. I'm one in Christ. I'm an heir of God since I'm His son. I'm a saint. I'm God's workmanship created in Christ. I do His work that He planned before I should do it. I'm a fellow citizen the rest of God's people. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm righteous and holy because of Him. I'm chosen and dearly loved by God. I'm a child of God. I am one of God's living stones. I'm being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I'm a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
nation, a people for God's own possession, to proclaim the excellencies of Him. I'm an alien and stranger in this world that I temporarily live in. My fellowship, my eternity is in heaven. My citizenship is there. I can't wait to get there. I'm born of God and the devil can't touch me because of who I am in Christ. And since I'm in Christ, by the grace of God, I've been justified. There's no condemnation to those who are now in Christ. I, I, I've been justified by Christ. I've been justified by faith. I've been established, anointed, and sealed by God in Christ. I'm sitting with Him in, in all of the, uh, the heavenlies. And it, on and on and on it goes. And you know what? If you can't grunt and say, man, I feel better about myself now, Amen. you never will. Right? The point is very simple. Go to the Word of God and see the promises that He made and see who you are in Christ and see what is now available to you because you are in Christ. And let me just tell you something. When your heart condemns you and and, and Satan begins to cast doubt in your life and says, how can you be a Christian? You swore at somebody. How can you be a Christian? You you drank a beer. How can you be a Christian? You went and watched that movie? Oh my gosh, you're wearing pants, ladies. (laughs) How can you be a Christian? Oh my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. How can you be? Very simple. Because stop drinking didn't make me one. Stop going to movies didn't make me one. Stop playing cards doesn't make me one. Stop wearing pants. Well, kind of give me a draft. But didn't make me one. And on and on it goes. You know why? Because none of those things are what gave me the privilege to be called a child of God. You know what did? For as many as received Him, to them He gave the privilege the right to become children of God to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm trying to get across here? We're going to be be doubting all the time if our relationship with God is based on what other people think it should be. But I'll tell you what, and you know what, a lot of times that's what the problem is. Hey, maybe there's some validity to the fact that you doubt your relationship with God because every relationship you've ever had in your life was based on performance. You didn't live up to your parents' expectations, and so they never accepted you. You didn't live up to your first spouse's expectations, so they never accepted you. You didn't live up to your boss's expectations, so they didn't accept you. You didn't live up to the expectations of your kids according to them, so they ran off and they're doing their thing and they want to blame you because they don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. And on and on and on it goes, and the heartbreak continues, and I, and I hear it and I see it in people's lives all the time. But let me just tell you something. The Word of God will give you the assurance that you need to understand that God's love is unconditional, that God's love is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and whoever receives Christ has that love, and now we are, we are in Christ, and we have a place reserved for us for all of eternity, and that should affect the way that we live our life. If it ain't, if it ain't practical, I heard a friend of mine say one time, if it ain't practical, it ain't spiritual. Let me just tell you something. What I'm telling you is not only spiritual, but it's practical in the way that you live your lives and as you consider who that person is that you look at the mirror in every day. If you can't feel good about yourself because of who Christ is, then I would say this. You better examine whether you've come to know Christ. And if you say you have, then let's take some time and get to know the Word of God because the Word will set you free. Man, that's some good stuff. And so anyway, as he goes through it, the point that he makes is very simple. That is that our dependence upon God and His promises is what will give us an assurance in our own heart that we're right with God. Regardless of what anybody else will say. You and I can have a peace about a relationship with God. There is now peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is no guilt to those who are in Christ. Do you follow what he's saying? Those are the promises of God. That's not based on my feelings. 
That's not based on whether I stumble and fall during the week or not. It's based on the truth of God's promises. And you know what's wonderful? When you have an earthly relationship that can resemble your, your relationship with God, it makes it a lot easier to see. It's wonderful to be married to somebody who puts up with you even though you're not who you want to be and who they think you should be at times, but they're still there because there's one thing holding you together, and that's called commitment. It's not based on if I'm nice to my wife today, is she still going to be with, you, with me? It's not based on whether I buy her things. It's not based on whether you know, she's nice to me. It's based on the fact that God says, hey, you're to love one another until Jesus comes back or until you die. Some days you may pray for death, but that's all right. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that it's based on commitment. Now, I've got to throw those kind of things out every now and then because you're all getting a little uptight here and starting to squirm, and that just kind of makes me real uncomfortable. Anyway, number three, it's also based on the desire to please God. You see what he says in verse 22? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you want to have an assurance of your relationship with God? You know how you do it? You examine yourself and say, do I have a desire to please God? You know what happened? The Pharisees had all kind of laws. They had all kinds of commandments. They codified them all. And it's no wonder that that young attorney, when he came to Jesus one day, said, Lord, let me just ask you a question. Man, we've got 360-some laws. We've got all kinds of laws to obey. Which one is important? You know what he realized? He realized, I can't obey all these. Some of them got to be a little less important than others. There's just too much stuff to do. If I'm going to have a right relationship with God, then I, I, there's too many of these things, just too many of them. So when he came to Jesus, as an, an attorney would, would do, analytical and thinking, hey, you know what, somehow there's got to be a shortcut to all this because I don't have time. Man, and, and besides that, if I spend a whole lot of time trying to do that, I won't have enough billable hours to meet my overhead. So anyway, <laughs> you know, he, he wanted to get right down to the, the, the nitty-gritty here. So he went to him and he said, well, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest law? And Jesus said, very simple, the greatest law of all the laws, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he said, and the second one is like the first, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the laws that you're struggling with are summarized in those two great commandments. But the point that he was making was very simple. That if we're a Christian, our relationship with God is based on two things. Belief and love. And they're not separate. It's like a coin that you would take, and on one side of the coin, there's belief. And a very simple belief is this. For as many as received him, to, get, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe upon his name. Very personal question. Not, did somebody else do it? Did you do it? Did this and that? The question is this that, that really needs to be answered. And John said that you can know in your heart that you have a right relationship with God. Was there a time in your life, not with a group, not with all this, not in church, not that, was there a time in your life as an individual where you have put your trust or believed in Jesus Christ? No one else around? Maybe, maybe there were people around, but in the quietness of your heart, the sincerity of your heart, is there a point in time where you said, Lord, I believe that you are God in human flesh. You died for my sins. And I believe what you say, that if I believe that, then I'll be right with you for all of eternity. I believe it because you proved it. You raised from the dead. You proved you were who you said you were. 
And so it's just not a faith based on wishy-washy. I hope this is right. But it's a faith based on objective evidence. It's not a feeling. There's an objective evidence that needs to be examined. And I said, Lord, come into my life. And when he did, he said, what will happen is that the other side of that coin, there will now be a love for God and the things of God. There will be a love for his commandments. There will be a love for good. And there will be a hatred of evil. There will be a love for others that you used to despise and you couldn't stand being around. See, the coin that he says is two-sided because it's one issue. Belief translates into love. And so what he's saying to each one of us is that you can know that you're a Christian. Number one, have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? There is no other name under heaven by which men can be free than Jesus Christ. Have you asked him into your life? And if you have, you will demonstrate it by the love of God to love him and his people. You will depend upon God and his promises and not on the emotional beliefs and roller coaster ride of life. That you will believe it. You know why? God said it and I believe it. No matter what anybody else tells me. If he says I'm wrong with him, I'm wrong no matter how many people tell me I'm right. And if he says I'm right with him, I don't care how many people tell me I'm wrong. There's a confidence that goes along with that. And as we go through these things, we begin to realize very simple that we can know that we're a child of God. God wants you to know it. What a joy it is to live a life knowing that if I died today, that I know I'm going to heaven. Not by anything I've done, not because I teach Sunday school, not because I read the Bible, not because I do a RAM study, but simply because I, by God's grace, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's by that that I've been saved and not of anything else that I've done. That way God gets all the glory. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to be confronted by the truth of your word. Father, my heart goes out to those who are uh, feeling-oriented, those who live life on an emotional roller coaster and as a result doubt every relationship that they've ever been in. My heart breaks that there are those who have been hurt because relationships in the past haven't worked out, that there are those who have somehow or another instilled a sense of, I've got to perform to be accepted. And, and all of that is just a tragedy, but God, you know that. And you're also greater than that. Father, our prayer this morning is that we can not only know that we have a right relationship with you because we've asked Jesus Christ into our life, but that from a very practical way that we can live our lives and enjoy that relationship based on your promises, based on your commitment, based on your word, and based on what you have to say. And as our hearts condemn us and as our feelings lead us astray, Father, we just go back to your word to get us back on track. If we're sinning according to your word, if we're doing that which violates your standards, we just ask that uh, you would convict us of it so that we can repent and turn back to you, knowing that our relationship is always secure, but that the feeling of joy will be missing. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation. And we just thank you that our relationship with you is based on what Jesus did and not on our performance. We just thank you and praise you for that wonderful news as it translates into a life that's filled with expectation and joy about your goodness and what we have to look forward to and the place you've got reserved for us that you call heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.